0: Hey, it's Johanna Masca, and this week on Press Advance, I'm bringing on Christine Barada. Christine Barada is actually the producer of Press Advance. She comes with a long history in journalism, most recently with Bloomberg, and every week she helped bring every one of our episodes to air. This week, Christine is going to flip the script on me a bit and ask some questions on the debate. The Republicans debated last week in Simi Valley, and I've got some thoughts. So Christine's got some questioners, some from our audience, many from you, and we figured we'd just work them all in. Over to you, Christine. It's really great to flip the script on you, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and bring you from behind the curtain.
1: (laughs) Okay, so we have some listener questions for you about the second Republican debate. And this one comes from a father of two young women, and he says he identifies with your family values. That he was really curious, because he hasn't watched a lot of the coverage, to hear your takeaways from the debate or what stood out to you the most.
2: Hmm.
0: So first, it's really important that parties have debates and I applaud the Republican Party for having these debates. Um, There are a lot of candidates up there with different experiences. They all brought those experiences to a discussion that at times can get out of hand. But I love that about America, that we can debate these things publicly in front of all of our friends and family. So I was there at Simi Valley, and it was an interesting experience because I have not seen this Republican Party yet, and sort of the dynamics of who's all in charge. And, you know, Fox was hosting the debate, but it was different than just Fox hosting it because it was also with Univision and with Rumble, which is an online platform. So it was a little different than the standard, you know, one organization takes it. We have a few people missing from the first debate who weren't on the stage. So I think it gave more people the opportunity
1: to speak. So what stood out to you as far as some of the candidates who maybe didn't get enough airtime in that first debate?
0: Poor Asa Hutchinson, he uh, you know, he's no longer on the stage and has not yet dropped out. He thinks that his perspective is still valid, but the Republican Party is saying that his perspective isn't polling high enough to be there. Uh, Doug Burgum um, is one candidate who was really on the edge. And I think there's Probably a case to be made that he didn't meet all of the qualifications, but he met enough of them and argued enough that he got on that stage. Mike Pence, it surprised me that he was out in the suburbs. Mike Pence was the sitting vice president of the United States, and he was on the farthest side of the debate. And the reason why that matters is it means he's polling among the lowest of the candidates who are on that stage. The people in the middle were Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, and Vivek Ramaswamy. You could not have more different perspectives than the three of them. They made that clear throughout the debate, particularly Nikki Haley against Vivek Ramaswamy. Vivek Ramaswamy has absolutely no experience in politics. And while some may say that's refreshing because he doesn't have a perspective already, we've seen that. When you go to the national level and you try to bring about change with literally no legislative experience in an executive role, it can actually be a handcuff where you can't get enough done. Sure, you can say you can bring in the advisors, but that never works. And more often than not, there's a lot of explaining that has to be done to that executive of why they can't do certain things the way they want to get it done. Nikki Haley's argument is, I know exactly what I'm doing. I have been a governor of a state. I have been a UN ambassador for the US. I have had these executive leadership roles and I would go in day one and change Washington. She has always been a fiscal conservative. More, I'd say, of a Tea Party type conservative than a more traditional conservative, though she does have more hawkish or traditional conservative views on foreign policy. She brings about those views because of her experience with the U.N., and it's not like she believes in supporting every country without any holds bar. In fact, she made that very clear when she was asked about the border. The only it? aid
2: that we should be spending right now is to secure the border, the southern border, the northern border, period. Would we off need off to keep Americans safe, and right now Americans are not safe. Only when we fix the immigration system, only when we get the border secure should we ever look at putting any more money into this.
0: You may disagree with that, but she has a very strong position on that. She was crystal clear in her answers. And every time there was a question... She brought the ball forward instead of defending the policies of her state, which is what Ron DeSantis ended up doing. Ron DeSantis, every time he was asked a question, it seemed more often he was defending his record. I mean, there were times, and Fox Business cares a lot about this, on the issue of inflation, Florida has one of the highest rates of inflation across the United States. So they were asking, you know, if you would be the right perspective on inflation, you've cut budgets, you've done these things, and your state's still facing the highest inflation. He didn't really have great answers on some of this. He said his unemployment was at an all-time low. That's true. He has people working. He was also asked a question about why insurance rates are so high in his state. He didn't really have an answer on. Nikki Haley, on the other hand, when she was asked about education, brought it into a holistic view in a way that no other conservative candidate can do. So for a father of two girls, I'm a public school mom, and I know— There are problems in my son's public school that I want to address. But when the Republicans talk about school choice as the option, I think school choice will just leave behind every child who doesn't have a parent who's able to navigate the system to get them a spot in that choice school. So she said on the debate stage, school choice is not the only answer here. She said, you know, you really actually have to look at it holistically in a sense of, You need to have vocational schools. We have kids who are not reading. If they're not reading in the third grade, they're not going to catch up. She is 100% accurate on that. Doug Burgum, actually, poor Doug Burgum, kept trying to jump in, kept trying to jump in. But he brought up in North Dakota that they do have the highest SAT scores, and he said it's because they have an innovation project that they've done where they've reformed all schools. And he is right that right now North Dakota has the highest SAT scores. And so that is a record that deserves a second review. Speaking of children and education, I did feel like everyone treated
1: Vivek like he was a child on stage. (laughs) (laughs) He did make himself an easy target for everybody, especially for Nikki Haley talking about his ties to China and also his embrace of TikTok. It's really hard to say you're concerned about China when you are doing TikTok videos pretty much all day and night, you know, promoting yourself.
2: This is infuriating because TikTok (laughs) is one of the most dangerous social media apps that we could have. And what you've got, I honestly, every time I hear you, I feel a little bit dumber for what you say. As a mom, whose
0: son is influenced by the likes of Jake Paul and Logan Paul. When Nikki Haley said that, I was like, I feel you lady. <laughs> <laughs> Vivek Ramaswamy, my husband tweeted this last time. He He's like the guy who believes he knows everything. And he even addressed that in the debate. He said, you know, I know that I can seem like a know-it-all. Well, yeah, you do. You drive around in a bus with your face on the side of it. Like, you <laughs> not only seem like a know-it-all. You seem like an <laughs> egomaniac. Um, he, he created a company, Tim Scott brought up, that had massive foreign investment. And actually, like, he's pretty honest about that his book, Woke Inc, about even going to Saudi because he had Saudi investors. And he said that they had a long time, you know, investment strategy. So, that would end up benefiting them because they would end up making money in the long run. The way they're making money in the long run, by the way, right now, is not by Vivek staying, although Vivek has his money from this company, it's by Vivek turning it over to these people who he accuses of being woke so that they continue to seed a company that's actually trying to take on a lot of the problems around the world. And to his credit, he actually did bring up you know, medicines that were not being blessed by traditional pharmaceuticals so that they would be available for people. To his discredit, he (laughs) decided to get out of his entanglements in China around the same time. I loved when Mike Pence said this, when he finally decided to vote.
2: I'm glad Vivek uh, pulled out of his business deal in 2018 in China. That must have been about the time you decided to start voting in presidential elections.
0: So there's a lot of skepticism, a very healthy skepticism, at his rise in the polls. The people who have experienced changing states, including Doug Burgum, who is a business person, who actually did much the same of what Vivek did, although didn't take on all of the foreign investment that Vivek Ramaswamy did, Doug Burgum created a company in North Dakota by leveraging his family farm. Now, he had a family farm to bet on On his endeavor, but he bet his farm and then he hired people from North Dakota for a technology company that he actually grew jobs in the state of North Dakota and sold to Microsoft. So eventually he ended up having to go to China for his company and he realized how difficult that relationship was with China. He has a very informed perspective from the business community. Now, having taken that perspective into being the governor of North Dakota, and so for him, seeing Vivek Ramaswamy, you know, surge, which has been the help of a lot of media consultants and people who have come on this podcast. But you know, I think he says whoa, like this guy's not going to be able to do anything. And if you actually listen to what he's saying that he's going to do, I mean, he said that his Federal Reserve chair is going to be Rand Paul. Rand Paul is like an ophthalmologist. He's not a Federal Reserve (laughs) chair. (laughs) It's like, what are you talking about? You're going to destroy our government from within.
1: Okay, here's another question from a listener. Um, There's been a lot of criticism. going around, especially on social media, that Nikki Haley was a little bit too hard on some of her opponents on the
0: debate stage. Do you agree with that? Some folks think Nikki went too hard on too many of her colleagues. Evidently, in the Republican Party, something called the 11th Commandment, in which they're not supposed to criticize other Republicans, which is interesting because Trump did not follow that course of action. And I'm not sure that many other people on that stage followed that course of action. You could argue that DeSantis has, but that hasn't helped him well, he attacked in Trump the election. he attacked Trump um, as well he as did. Christie did. You're right. He did actually attack Trump. I don't know. A I feel like would, would
1: people be saying that? I mean, she's a woman. Do you think there's some bias there saying that she went too hard on the other candidates, or do you feel...
0: So she attacked everybody. I mean, she was so hard on Vivek. There was a moment where she went,
1: head-to-head with Tim Scott about curtains at the U.N. So let's hear that. Do your homework,
2: Tim, because Obama bought those curtains. Did you send them back? It's in the press. Did you send them back? It's the State Department. Did you send them back? Did you send them back? You're the one that works in Congress. Oh, my gosh. You get it You hung them on your your, your curtains. They were there before I even showed up at the residence. You are scrapping.
0: So the Tim Scott and her going at each other was probably the least authentic of all of the encounters because— She appointed Tim Scott. She has deep respect for Tim Scott. And I understand wanting to distinguish yourself from Tim Scott, but she also knows that he hasn't wanted to go along with some of these congressional actions. Neither has she in some of these cases. And they probably both left that debate a little upset about that encounter. I gotta say, if blessing curtains for the residents of the U.S. UN ambassador is the best hit you have on Nikki Haley, Like I would take that hit. A number one, the residence was already changed. And it was changed because the Chinese bought the Waldorf Astoria. So Barack Obama had no choice but to move the ambassador's residence out of the Waldorf Astoria you cannot have a ambassador's residence that doesn't have curtains. Like, do we really want the Chinese taking video of Nikki Haley, like walking around naked? No. No. (laughs) (laughs) We also don't want them taking pictures or video of every single person who is visiting in that residence. And I'm sorry, like the notion that she could have changed the contract from a $50,000 contract. And let me be absolutely clear that I am very aware that most Americans make $50,000 in an entire year. And I have nothing but respect for that amount of money. But I can tell you the choice would have been decreasing that contract to like a $40,000 contract. You cannot have like Costco curtains, you know, plant them on the walls of the USUN. And it's undoubtedly like, you know, something that was already set in motion. And yet I will promise you that there was very little that she could have done on right. that and that most of the time that state funding has already been blessed and the amount of money that we're spending on a lot of these big giant summits and the like, yeah. It will probably disgust most people, but it also is in line with what a lot of these big businesses spend on all of these different things. And there is a reason that we actually have to do it.
1: So do you think there was anything missing on the debate stage? Was there an issue or something that the candidates should have brought up, but they didn't?
0: Probably the Biden administration and some of the candidates on that stage did not do enough to explain why we get involved in the world To whom much is given, much is expected. The U.S. is still the most powerful country around the world. How lucky we are to live in the most powerful country and how blessed we are that our problems, we are still the healthiest patient in the ICU. Everyone around the world is facing inflation. We are facing inflation. It is terrible. And yet we can solve our problems if we choose to. You know, you saw a little bit of that with DeSantis said something about America being on the decline when he was talking about China. And Tim Scott shot in and he said, America is not on the decline. And he's right. Tim Scott is right. And he deserves credit for saying that because America is still extraordinarily strong. And when our leaders say America is on the decline, I don't believe that China is in the position to overtake us. One. They have their own problems right now, significant problems. They've got a debt ratio that's much higher than ours. They have a population of 1.4 billion people that they can't control. They, you know, like talk about, you know, borders and issues. They've got genocide going on in that country. There is no way on earth that China can overtake the U.S. as a moral power in the world. I believe we will be stronger when we actually empower our diaspora communities to help solve problems on the global stage through businesses, through intervention, through whatever means we need to do. We will have more economic dominance especially when our businesses solve these problems, but we'll also have a little bit more moral clarity. And I guess what I saw in that debate stage was some who are still taking that short-time shot at America, including Ron DeSantis. And I think that is short-sighted, and I think it doesn't give us the credit that we deserve here at home for what we do have. And so there were some candidates like Tim Scott who shot back at him and others who are making the case that America is still stronger together. Mike Pence does too. And, you know, they had really good candidates – and every one of them showed up. And one person, Donald Trump, didn't show up. And there are many who say, well, why should he? Because he's so much higher in the polls. Look, I worked for a president who was pretty arrogant, <laughs> like in the sense, and I talk about that going into reelection. If you remember, he didn't really want to do debate prep. And it turned out we got completely slapped around in that first debate. So this notion, and I talked to one of Trump's top advisors was at one of the hotels afterwards that I was invited to go get a drink with some folks. And so I was talking with him and he was like, you know, Donald Trump is going to smack Joe Biden down. And I was like, how do you figure? And he's like, you know, he's like an old whatever 80, uh, uh, He, you know, he's an old 80 plus <laughs> and Donald Trump is a youthful, vigorous 70 whatever. And I was like, they're both older than Bill Clinton is, like, for sure. And also, um, I'm sorry, but like, when it comes to Donald Trump and what happened with January 6th, there is a segment, 40-plus percentage of that party that is looking for the alternative candidate. And while there is a loveless marriage with Joe Biden, and I've been very honest about that, there is not, like, massive enthusiasm for our 80-year-old president to run again within the Democratic Party. But they support him because they trust that he's going to support their values and that he's not going to lead us to a January 6th moment. On the Republican side, there's still 40% that wants nothing to do with Donald Trump. And the Republican electorate has gotten smaller in some cases. There's a real, I think, division in probably both parties, but I'd say more so on the Republican side, where Donald Trump has really driven this internal division and made it so that you can't say anything that disagrees with His perspective. You know, like despite me saying on air multiple times that it's a loveless marriage with Joe Biden, I am still very (laughs) close friends with most of the people who are running his campaign, who are working with him. They respect me. I respect them. I can say what I want and I don't get kicked out of the party. And right now, that's not always the case with those who stand against President Trump. And that's troubling.
1: Yeah, I do think he should be involved in the debate, and, you know, we're talking about him right now, and Ron DeSantis talked about him, Chris Christie talked about him, and if you remember, a moderator, Dana Perino, asked this question. It's now obvious that if you all stay in the race, former President Donald Trump wins the nomination. None of you have indicated that you're dropping out. So, which one of you on stage tonight should be voted off the island? <laughs> Marker to write your choice on the notepad in front of you and then I guess it turned into this like final jeopardy thing and then Ron DeSantis led a mutiny saying no no we're not going to do that then Chris Christie took the opportunity to directly talk to Trump here's what he said
2: this guy has not only divided our party he's divided families all over this country. He's divided friends all over this country. I've spoken to people, and I know everyone else has, who have sat at Thanksgiving dinner or at a birthday party and can't have a conversation anymore if they disagree with Donald Trump. He needs to be voted off the
0: island.
1: Is that the right way to look at it? I mean, I don't think Trump's being voted off the island anytime soon.
0: The sad part for the Republican Party right now is he's the only one on the island with a life preserver right now because he's got 50% of their party who's completely hoodwinked to believe that his he is defending them. And so Chris Christie, you know, he's wrong. You do actually have to vote someone else off that debate stage if you're going to consolidate that vote to stand up a candidate who could win against Joe Biden. And the trouble is... Some of them say the truth out loud. I was on with Hogan Gidley at one point, and he said, they're not just going to consolidate around one person on that stage who's not Donald Trump. And he's not wrong. I mean, if Nikki Haley could consolidate, could drive people, could build the infrastructure, she'd be a very, very solid general election candidate. And yet... Donald Trump will probably make it very difficult for her at every step of the way. Not least of which with the delegates that we've already been covering on Press Advance. But they can't even have these debates with Donald Trump. Like, they aren't having these fulsome debates. Like, even on the UAW stuff, he went, instead of coming to the debate, he went to Michigan, where he was on stage at a non-union plant saying that union workers supported him, with very few union workers in that audience. He also had signs that said union workers for Trump that didn't have union bugs on those signs, meaning they were not printed in a union shop. He has a record now, a record that's actually failed at the ballot box three times around. The problem with Chris Christie saying, you know, he should have shown up We need to go farther. You know, they really need to say, like, he is the weakest candidate that they could put up. And I know that there are people who completely disagree with me, and I am happy to have them on this podcast and we'll discuss. But there are many moms in many suburbs that mattered, that turned out for Joe Biden, that have absolutely no interest in seeing... Donald Trump get to the polls and they will be more motivated to vote against Donald Trump than anything else and so you are going to see them decide this election and the Republicans have no chance if that's the case now again uh, democrats are going to have to work really hard for this election and I'm not going to say no chance i suppose but it's really going to be a rough ride for the republicans to keep their party together with Donald Trump at the helm. The only other thing I'd add on the debate is that I had mentioned if DeSantis didn't do well. Did you think he did well? No. I thought, see, I thought he did a lot better. DeSantis did okay. I guess the question is, you know, is he going to win with the performance he had? I don't see him winning with the performance he had. I mean, he probably lives to fight against Gavin Newsom. In his debate, but he's going to have another (laughs) debate with his Republican opponents before then. And at a certain point, reputationally, he's losing more than he's gaining right now, standing against Donald Trump. There are other candidates who are surging compared to him. And so, how long is he going to go on and continue this path of trying to? stand up against Donald Trump. I'm not sure.
1: Well, I personally am looking forward to seeing Nikki Haley's continued rise in the polls. She got a bump after that first debate, so let's see what happens after this one. But I think that that second-place spot is hers to grab.
0: Nikki has some opportunity. Let's see what she does when she decides to come on this podcast. Nikki Haley, we're calling.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We're calling. We're coming for you. (laughs) Bring it.
0: Well, Christine... Thank you so much for turning the tables with me, for getting some of our listeners' questions in. And I am so thrilled. Please, as always, find us on social media. I am at Johanna Masca. Please send us any thoughts for Press Advance. Our desire is to create a community in which we truly do respect, empower, include. You can find Press Advance wherever you get your podcasts. Have a great one.